Thank you for joining the Zen Care Podcast. These recorded Dharma talks are given freely to our community in the heart of New York City, which we are honored to now share with you. New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care is dedicated to transforming the nature of care through contemplative practice by meeting illness, aging, and death with compassion and wisdom. Learn about us at zencare.org. So wonderful to be with all of you. Can you hear me okay? And I just want to remember Patricia's friend, Marcus, who died this morning, suddenly. And how tender that is. And thank you so much, Patricia, for sharing him with us. And how important it is to have community to say, yes, this happened and it's so painful. And the beauty of, at the same time, the Kind of, as my grandmother would say, the mashugana of our you know, chanting tonight and all the voices together, you know, and helping each other. So beautiful, so beautiful. All of it happening all at the same time. Great loss of Marcus and the kind of fumbling along together and the willingness that our Sangha shows up for. So touching. And for me, this is part of Gyoji Dokan, of the circle of the way. What is not included? What do we not include if it's not our great grief and our willingness just to be in it and show up. And allow ourselves to be surprised. And as Joan, our dear friend Joan last night, so beautifully showed just her willingness to be in the joy and the craziness too of technology. And the willingness not to get caught up in ideas of how things are supposed to go because it, it norm, it, there's always enormous changes at the last minute, as my dear cousin would say. How do we prepare for the unpreparable? How do we prepare for the unbearable? Showing up. Showing up not to what I want to be happening, but showing up to what is happening. As many of you know, our, our cat, uh, 
Wojciech has been devastated for 62 days, howling and crying at the door of the sudden death of his brother, each time wrenching our hearts open. Then on Saturday, this little tiny kitten comes into the house, little Bodhidharma, and suddenly it's changed. Suddenly no more crying at the door, no wailing, but this like real curiosity. What's this little being? Grief is mysterious. Life is mysterious. To me, the beauty is like learning how to just be in it without the ideas of being in it. To me, that's the joy of practice. To be able to be fully in what's happening and allow ourselves to pivot into what's happening now. Instead of just believing one wave or the next wave or our ideas about anything. Life is truly extraordinary. So today is the 71st day of our practice period. And today we learn a little bit more about our ancestor Guishan. And the badassery of some of these people, it's just like they're like not backwards going forwards as Chodo would say. They're just, mm. it's almost like I can feel their energy just like, okay, okay. Whatever's happening, I'm here. To me, that's such the spirit of continuous practice, whatever, okay. Reminds me so much of like my aspiration that I often have of just one day to be just like a bump on a log, just there. So Guishan went to the steep and rocky Mount Gui immediately after receiving the prediction of enlightenment. So it's very much, you know, similar to Bodhidharma's story, you know, like he was already transmitted and meeting the emperor, and, but then going to the cave to face his mind that we're never done. Many people, you know, fall into the trap or I like, I got my bib or I got my transmission or I, now I'm something. But that's actually not the practice. Who cares? I mean, the most important thing is actually, what are you doing? How are you functioning? And how could we actually arrive anywhere? 
when each moment is such a delicious surprise. Sometimes really bitter, sometimes sour, sometimes sweet or savory, but delicious that we can taste it, can experience it. So he went to the steep and rocky place and immediately received, after he received this prediction of his enlightenment, which is usually a terrible thing to happen. And he mingled with birds and beasts, erected a little hut and tempered his practice. So very often happens, sometimes we'll, the teacher will say like, oh, you're doing great. And then people get a little inflated. So he had to like, bring it down. And I've had the experience even in myself, like I felt like, ooh, something's happening. It's also the teaching there is just like, okay, don't cling to that either. Because otherwise we don't actually keep the field wide. Because if we think we're like gonna go after one thing in particular, I've definitely had that experience many times then field narrows. Now I go, I had a great period of sitting. Usually when people say that, it means like they felt restful or something. And he says, while living on acorns and chestnuts, he was not intimidated by snows or storms. So by conditions that, you know, that you may not think you would favor. What would that be like to live a life where you're not so taken aback by conditions you wish weren't happening. And in this time where we're living, there seems to be a great many things. Many heartbreaking and painful things. And how do we use those things to even turn away from fostering this practice? In many ways, it's like really easy to do. Easy to turn away. And what the challenge is, is that continuous practice like, okay. Without temple or property, he actualized continuous practice for 40 years. Like one of my favorite parts, that's a reoccurring theme in Moses' Zen literature. It's like, they did that for 40 years. They did it for 30 years. They, you know, tried something out for decades. There's really something to that. Really encourage you to think about what would that be like? You know, as Joan was talking about too, like, well, what are you gonna do on the 91st day? So. How are you, never mind 90 days, like what are you going to do for the next three decades? One decade. How do you want to practice? 
how do you want to really dig in? Later, this place became a monastery renowned throughout China where excellent practitioners like dragons and elephants came to follow in his footsteps. Sometimes it's easy to think of like, oh, it's a metaphor, but what if it wasn't? What if this, there was something about, have you ever been around someone who really inspires you and just like by how they are. And uh, my grandmother was like that. I just love being around her. And, like actually many of my friends just like love being around her because she was like really there. And there's something, it magnetizes something. Doesn't mean they're perfect. And some other people think like, well, they are not perfect. They make mistakes. Hopefully. I've never met someone who doesn't make mistakes or remember there's this really funny story about, I love to remember myself is that after Mother Teresa died, they found her journals and people were like, oh my God, she had doubts. <laughs> How could that be? There are moments when she doubted things. Or someone learned, there's another story where the, the Dalai Lama was apparently has like a really intense anger, like can get really angry and shout. And people were like, oh no, you know, how could that be? Every being can be a jerk. But it's like, what, what in general is happening? And how does that person get up into it? How do they engage when you engage them? How do you participate? It's easy to just be like, oh, they're not perfect, so forget it. Oh my God, that's so easy to dismiss people for their lack of perfection. Never do that. As if like perfection is even a destination. I always feel like that's like one of the poisons of delusion. The delusion that we all can have of, you know, even the idea of arrival at some perfection. Last stop, perfection land. It's like, it's so crazy. It makes me think of even this idea of enlightenment is often that. In the Zen school, we're really much more interested and in, we have kind of enlightening moments. There's not a real emphasis in, especially in Soto Zen, in enlightenment as a destination. Just a moment. Kind of sweet and can kind of be poison if you hold on to that too. 
So after the <laughs> the dragons, he, Dogen says then, if you vow to establish a temple, do not be swayed by human concerns, but maintain a strict continuous practice of Buddha Dharma. So if you want a place of practice, Don't be swayed by human concerns. And it says, where the practice is tempered without having a hall is a place of enlightenment of old Buddhas. The teaching given outdoors under a tree may be heard afar. Such a place can be a sacred domain for a long time. Indeed, the continuous practice of one person will merge with the way place of all Buddhas. Reminds me so much of the, there's this amazing, probably all of you have seen, or many of you have seen this picture of this incredible Buddha and Nara, it's like the biggest Buddha in Japan. It's crazy big and you know it bankrupt the country and people starved building this giant really beautiful but you know like why does the world need such a big <laughs> we don't know but to me it's kind of like what dogan is talking about like you can get so caught up in building something a persona we could get built building up in something and not even think of like what is laid waste around you and they built this magnificent temple around this huge statue and then a tsunami came and destroyed the whole temple you know for what because if they're to me, the always importance is like, how are we functioning? Dogen says, foolish people in this declining age, you should not be consumed with erecting magnificent temple buildings. So there's a lot of that happening in the time when Dogen was alive, you know, in particular in Kyoto, like all those magnificent temples that maybe some of you have seen pictures of, but it was like a big thing. Buddha ancestors have never wished for such temple buildings. You uselessly decorate the halls before you clarify your own eye. You can actually become a Zen master online now, I learned, you know. There's a place like you can sign up. You can be a Zen master in like a month or something. And I know people have done that and then they set themselves up and it's just like that to me. It's about being a student of the way more than being a Zen master. To me, the master is someone who is, you know, I always often think of 
art teacher too, like in her garden. To me, if there's a master, it's someone like her who deeply cares about the Dharma and is constantly reflecting on what's next. What's this moment? Riding the waves of feeling, of grief, of beauty. See, Daichi has worked in that garden. It's huge, that garden. How do you ride what's happening? Dogen says, you should ponder, quietly ponder the continuous practice of the ancient Guishan. In order to do this, identify yourself with Guishan. Realize you're not separate from Guishan. There's a wonderful koan, you know, in, the, in our curriculum that we have, uh, where it says, Manjushri Bodhisattva rides a lion, and Samantabhadra Bodhisattva rides an elephant. What does Shakyamuni Buddha ride on? You know, and to touch that koan is, and to be intimate with that koan is to realize that Shakyamuni Buddha can't be anyone other than you. And this is what also Dogen is pointing to, that you can't to be Guisha, which of course you are. And the funny part is like we think, oh, not me, I'm not. I'm not that wholehearted or I'm not that committed or come up with a lot of reasons to separate. I think of him often when I encounter a chestnut. I wanted to leave you tonight with one of the poems, you could call it a poem, from Guisham. I love him. And it, he entitled it Encouraging Words. So I thought we could all use a little encouragement. Someday you will die. I love that it begins with that. It's encouraging words. Lying on your sick bed, about to breathe your last breath. You will be assailed by every kind of pain. Your mind will be filled with fears and anxieties and you will not know what to do or where to go. 
only then will you realize that you have not practiced well. The skandhas, matter, sensations, conceptions, impulses, consciousness, and the four elements in you will quickly disintegrate when you're dead. And your consciousness will be pulled wherever your ancient twisted karma leads it. Impermanence does not hesitate. Death will not wait. You will not be able to extend your life by even a second. How many thousands more times Will you have to pass through the gates of birth and death if these words are challenging to you, even insulting to you? Let them be an encouragement for you to change. Practice heroically like a warrior. Do not accumulate unnecessary possessions. Don't give up. Still your mind. End wrong perceptions. Concentrate and do not run after objects of your senses. Practice diligently. Be determined to not let your days and months pass by wastefully. Hmm. That's our, it's like a love letter to me. From a man who lived 781 in the common era. And we're still, that's still the work, still the encouragement we need. I love that too. You know, Dogen loved that very much. And you might hear the evening gata in that, those, in that poem. The more you kind of read, in particular, the Chinese ancestors, you really hear so many echoes throughout Dogen's work. That's why I love studying them so much. And we'll be actually studying them a lot in Catch Your Mind this year. It's amazing, you know, like we, nothing is really new. Our dilemma. <laughs> it 
Joan talked about this last night too. She's like, I just find such comfort in reading these stories because like there's really basically nothing new happening. We're having our experience of it, which is new. But our conundrum is such an old conundrum. How do we do that? How will you do that? How can we be as loving as we can in this life? Be as free and joyful as possible. To me, it's like the strong container of Zazen offers that freely from our ancestors, through us. Dogen asks us to be at one with Guishan, which is just to realize that you are Guishan. You have that capacity too. Let's not squander our actions. Thank you. Show me